Hi, and welcome to the Deeper Than Money podcast. I am your host, Chloe Elise. I'm a millennial money coach, speaker, dog mom, and a seven on the Enneagram. And I am on a mission to prove to you that finances can be fun and easy. On the Deeper Than Money podcast, we will dive into all things millennial finance, debt, saving, mindset, and how to have financial freedom to enjoy life in your 20s and 30s. I want you to leave this podcast with more confidence around your moolah and the belief that your biggest financial dreams are possible for you. So let's talk money. Welcome back to the Deeper Than Money podcast. Today, I am beyond excited to welcome our guest, Jenna Palak. After graduating mid-pandemic from Kent State in Ohio, Jenna moved to Austin, Texas to work in advertising for TikTok after landing the job from a viral video. After working there for a year and continuing to grow her personal TikTok platform, Jenna decided to quit her corporate job in August of 2021 to become a full-time content creator. Jenna is the host of Fun on Weekdays podcast that was started July of 2021 and now has over a million downloads, 525,000 TikTok followers, 110 Instagram followers, and uses her platform to bring her followers together in real life by hosting weekday events in different cities. Her goal is to provide opportunities for her community to connect, create experiences, and encourage them to stop waiting for the weekend to enjoy their life. Jenna is truly an absolute treat, not only in this episode, but online. Take five minutes to scroll through some of her videos or on Instagram, and you will honestly fall in love with her. She, in this episode, and again, online, every single day is so vulnerable, so honest, and so open, and so genuine about her life, her experiences, and she gives us the gift of talking money when it comes to being a full-time content creator, some of the pressures and some of the stigmas around money, and also just numbers. She talks about some of her big goals. She talks about expenses as a business owner and all things that you might be sitting back watching uh, from your phone on, on social media and wondering, seriously, what is behind the scenes? And, and Jenna, in this episode, really pulls back the curtain. Now, this is part one. We go through this entire episode and, oh my God, you're going to absolutely love it. And Jenna is so open and Oh my gosh, it's so good. Um, And the entire episode is part one, and we are dropping part two over on the Fun on Weekdays podcast. So make sure after you listen to this, you head on over to Fun on Weekdays and go and listen to part two of that episode. And also make sure you are subscribed to Fun on Weekdays. Her podcast is so incredible. It's so real. And it is truly like the podcast for anyone who's just like, what is this whole adulting thing? How do I make friends as an adult? How do I get outside of my comfort zone? And how do I just start really enjoying adulthood instead of, again, waiting waiting for a weekend? So, oh, Jenna, I'm so obsessed with her and you are about to be if you are not already. So without further ado, please welcome Jenna to the podcast. Jenna, 
Welcome to the Deeper Than Money podcast. I'm so excited you are here. Can you please give a little intro about yourself, your business, your story, all the things? Woo! Okay. So before starting this, we just had a little powwow talking for like 20 minutes because I feel like we have such good energy right now. And I'm just equally as excited to be on this podcast um, to talk about money and financials and, you know, all that stuff as a full-time content creator and I guess like podcaster. (laughs) So my name is Jenna Palick. I am 24, turning 25 in September. So that makes me a Libra in case anyone's curious. And I am the I don't know, we, the host, <laughs> what's like the legit name? I started Fun on Weekdays podcast in July of 2021. And prior to that, I used to work at TikTok and advertising. Um, and so I have been doing social media, which is mainly TikTok, sometimes Instagram here and there, just don't like it as much. And my podcast full time. And now I host events in Austin primarily, but also other cities to bring girls together to try and help them make friends and kind of, you know, navigate life after college because it is definitely a bit tougher to make friends. And yeah, the podcast is really just a means to bring people together and create community. So that's my little spiel. <laughs> you do such a good job about it because I cannot tell you, this was just on my For You page last night where was this girl and she was like, okay, I need to pick out an outfit for a friend date tonight. And she was like, of course, I found another friend date from the Fun on Weekdays Facebook group. And so shout out to Janet. And I'm like, oh my God, that's so cute. Like she's not even, she's not even like stitching you or whatever. That's just the last impacted like completely separately. So it's so cool what you're doing. And one of the reasons I'm so freaking excited to have you on here, which I know we talked about this a little bit before we got recording, but you are one of the most transparent uh, online content creators I have seen online, not only when it comes to business finances, but when it comes to brand partnerships, when it comes to hosting events, when it comes to all of these different things. And so I cannot wait to hear you dive into that. Um, But first, I want to know, have you always felt comfortable talking about money? Uh, You know, you're so transparent online with so many different areas, like your personal life, your work life, your friends, like all of these things. But has money always been something that's like easy for you to talk about? Or is that just something where you're like, okay, I want to be open? Is it people's opinions that have pushed you to do it? Like what has allowed you to really be as open as you are? Yeah. So, okay. I would say since the time I was 15, I got my first job. I was working in Mally's Chocolates from Cleveland, Ohio. I grew up in a small town called Painesville and my mom is a teacher and up until about like the time that I was in high school, she was a substitute teacher, a stay-at-home mom. She used to work at the YMCA. And my mom was really like never a main source of income for my family. And my dad worked for now 30 years at ADP. And truly to this day, I still don't even know what he makes. And I feel like there's just never really been a conversation of money in my family like ever. And especially like not having that when I started working, I was like, wait, this is so exciting. Like, I'm so proud of myself. I want to share this with my parents. So like they know what I'm doing and they know that I can support myself. And I think from there, it it was like a way that I felt confident in myself was that my hard work and the things that I was doing outside of like school and my extracurriculars was something that I was really proud of. 
And so I think from the time that I was in high school, I used to work in a sales job. I sold dresses. It was called American Commodore. And that is when I like became obsessed with Sherry Hill. And so every time I would sell a dress, I knew that I was going to make like maybe $20 in commission because I made 5% on each sale. And every time I sold a dress, I would go home or I would text my parents and tell them. And it was just a way that like I validated myself in a sense. Um, but that was when I was younger. And I think now when I talk about money, it's no longer about validating myself because like money is not how I get that anymore. But when I talk about it, I understand the impact that it has on other people that see it. Not only like, this is what I can achieve. This is what you more importantly can achieve. And like, why are we not talking about this? Because the longer we don't talk about it, the longer you're not making what you should be. So I mean, I will say talking about money is definitely kind of a tricky subject. You know, you pick your poison, like I said, is you do talk about it and people don't like it or you do talk about it and people love it. But I found that the more I do talk about it, the more people appreciate it. So the trade off is much higher. Um, but but yeah, I mean, money, depending on the topic, it can be kind of awkward, but it's only awkward if you make it. And it's only awkward because we've been told to make it awkward. For sure. Like it's awkward because people who benefit from others not talking about money want it to be awkward, which is why it's been so taboo to talk about for so long. And again, with talking about a subject that is taboo, there are other people who think, oh, it's taboo. You should not be talking about that, which often can result in backlash for talking about it. So do you ever feel discouraged when you're like, oh my gosh, wow, this is so cool. I have been given this opportunity or I've, you know, worked for this thing. I want to share how much money I made in this brand partnership, or I want to share how much money it costs to run this event that I just ran. So other people understand that and can, you know, create a better idea of, of how this works and see the behind the scenes, see the, you know, curtain pulled back. So then you do it and then you get backlash for it. Do you <laughs> with that? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's always really difficult to think that you're doing something that is beneficial and is vulnerable on your part. And then you sit and you read people's comments and you fixate on what people say about you and their opinions on you. And it's really hard to not let that like get to your head and then kind of shell up and then make you not want to talk about it literally ever again. For example, a couple weeks ago, I was looking at houses. So I currently live in an apartment downtown. I'm paying so much freaking rent in this stupid little ass apartment that was before I lived with my boyfriend. That was before I had a dog. And this, the space just like no longer fits me. So I started looking at renting houses. And then as I was looking at these rentals that cost six to $7,000 a month, and they're not cute, like they're not what I want. I know that it's not going to be a long-term place for me. And that rent is going nowhere. I started thinking, what if I bought a house? Because essentially the rent that I would be paying is a mortgage. So why not just use the mortgage to own equity in something that is actually mine versus putting money down the drain in rent? So I feel like I tried to do a really good job of explaining that rationale of why I was looking at houses. And then people are obviously always very curious. And the people that follow me, I feel like really, really appreciate it. It's when your video reaches people that don't follow you that you start getting this like backlash. So I posted a video of two houses that I looked at. I shared the price because if you don't share the price, then people are like, why are you not sharing that? They're going to look it up anyways. So why not just be transparent? Yeah. 
one of the houses was $2.5 million, which I cannot afford. Let's just say that right there. I cannot afford that house right now. Could I afford it in the future? Probably. Could I afford it right now? Maybe. But like, I don't want to make financial decisions that only suit me currently because you just have no idea what the future holds, especially with working in content. Like you have no idea when this could stop. And so I shared that and I got so many stitches on that. There was a girl who was like mocking me and saying, this is what I'm wearing today and I'm having fun and in Phoenix, as in like all I had to do was just share my outfits and say like, let's have fun together. So like that one really upset me, but I knew that she didn't mean it ill-intended. Like it was just more so like, oh my gosh, this is crazy that she could even be looking at houses like this. And then there was another one from this kid that went to my college and he just duetted it. And I don't even know if he said anything, but the video didn't really take off at first until I've been getting tagged in it recently. And now it has like 116 comments on it. And originally when he posted it, he's like, it's just crazy to see somebody in your graduating class from your college being able to afford things like this. And I commented on it and I said, I've also just been saving for a really long time. And then people were mocking me saying like, this is so tone deaf. Like, just say that it's your influencer money, sis. Like, obviously it's your parents' money. And I commented back. I'm like, my mom is a teacher. My mom literally makes like $50,000 a year. Like, it is not my parents' money. I have not lived off my parents' money since literally high school. Like, they helped me pay for college, yes, but I still have student loans. And so it just like, it really gets under your skin because people question your integrity. They question your entitlement. And like, I try to show so hard, so hard that I have worked very hard to earn these things and that I am really good with my money. Like I don't buy flashy things. I hardly invest in like really myself. I invest in like an office, an apartment, just living expenses. And then you still will get hate regardless. So to answer your question, yes, it definitely deters me when I see things like that. Because one negative out co comment will always outweigh like the hundred nice ones because yeah. that's what you remember. So lately, actually, I haven't really been posting on TikTok that much just because I don't know, people's shit gets in your head. And then every time I go to post a video, I'm like, this is stupid. Someone's going to make fun of me for this or someone's going to say that I'm entitled or that I'm privileged. But of course, I know that I'm very privileged, like, but it definitely, it gets to you for sure. For sure. And I think, you know, going off of that comment about like, you know, I, I am privileged and I acknowledge that. I think one thing that's really hard is, you know, on TikTok, for example, you have like 30 seconds, maybe a minute. If every single video you give every single disclaimer of like, hey, I just want to acknowledge like I'm very, very privileged. Like, yes, I worked hard. I'm also privileged. I also want to acknowledge that this is blah, blah. I also want to acknowledge that this, it's like, you don't have time to actually say what you were trying to say in the first place, right. which can make it really hard. And then people can take it out of context and, and whatever, which can, can be really, you know, frustrating and, and difficult when you want to acknowledge that stuff, but you also have information that you want to get across. And if people don't make it past the disclaimer, it's not actually helping anyone with the information. <laughs> and so it, it's frustrating. And, you know, one of the things that I love talking about is, <clears throat> like you said, this idea that people get so mad, people get so triggered by you sharing 
whether it's uh, something like, yep, oh my gosh, no big deal. I'm going to buy this $2.5 million home, no sweat. Or if it's like, wow, this is a really big goal. This is a really big dream. Either way, people get triggered by like, how dare she dream that big? Like, how dare she want that for herself? And it's, there's just so much judgment. And what I love to talk about, like with my audience is like reframing that because jealousy can be a really, really cool thing. Like if you see, you know, you're, you're on TikTok, you see Jenna, she posts this $2.5 million house and all of a sudden you get triggered. Like, oh my gosh, how dare she do that? Blah, blah, blah. And you want to get angry at her. What you have to understand is like, jealousy is just letting you know what you want. And so if you say, wow, wait, I want that for myself. I want to be able to dream that big. I want to be able to do those things. Then you can take that, first of all, release any like really negative energy toward anyone, Jen or whoever, saying like, how dare she do this? Because it's not about her. It's not about you. It's, it's about them. It's about like yourself in that moment. And so then you can take that separately and say, okay, what do I want? How could I get something like that? How could I create that? And so it, it just, it's just wild that so often jealousy and, and um, being jealous by what somebody else says turns into judgment instead of self-reflection. And that's so frustrating. Um, and so kind of going off of that a little bit, I, I, I really want to dive into that more. Since you get that backlash and then you read it and you're in your head, right? And it's like, how do you separate that? Okay, this is a two-part question. One, how do you separate that of like, that's your work day, right? Like, this is your job. So when you read that hate comment or whatever else it is, and then you're like, okay, it's 5 p.m. I'm going to go like have a date night and like go do these things, go walk my dog. How do you just like turn that off? And then number two, because of that judgment, do you then feel like when you are talking transparently about money or you are purchasing something that isn't a necessity, do you feel like you have to justify it of like, this is why I'm buying it so everyone doesn't get mad? Yes, absolutely. There is always a reason when I share anything that I purchase that is maybe exceeding what somebody actually needs. For example... I just went to Nashville and I wanted to get a cute dress to wear for my event. Events are one thing that I will allow myself to like splurge on myself for because there's so much work and like mental drain that goes into doing events that I think I deserve like a nice dress that I feel confident in. I'm going to be in so many pictures, so many videos. And see, this is me even saying right now to you, like me justifying it. Yeah. I, I bought this dress. It was $475, which literally... Two years ago, I would never in my right mind ever even lay eyes on this dress. Maybe I would like, maybe I would look at it, but I would never ever think like, I'm going to buy this dress somehow because I didn't have the money to pay for it. And even if I did have the money, it wouldn't be a sustainable thing. Like, so I bought this dress, I made a video about it and I probably spent like at least 30 seconds of the video explaining why I got it. And it is really hard to like notice those things in myself when I am constantly justifying everything because I feel like you almost have to give context to everything because like you said, without context in a 60 second video, people just make assumptions like, oh, your parents bought this for you, especially people that don't know me and don't follow me. Mm -hmm. They make assumptions and then yes, of course it gets in your head. So I'm constantly justifying everything. <laughs> but even though I still always look for good deals, like I am a Facebook 
marketplace shopper through and through. Everyone knows that. Oh my gosh. I'm obsessed with that. I know. Yeah. And I love a good deal more than anything. Like I save money in so many areas of my life that I could splurge, but I don't because like, I don't want to be that kind of person that's flashy and I'm constantly buying designer stuff. And there is nothing wrong with anybody who is like that. But when I do buy things like that, I almost feel like my my followers think it's kind of out of character. And so I feel the need to justify it to them. So to answer your second question, which was, does it, how do I ever turn it off? Transparently, I don't. And it really affects a lot of my relationships. Like it is really sad. I don't even want to talk about it too much because it'll like make me like cry. But it's really hard when like, yes, now I have an office. And the whole point of this office was like to be able to close this door and turn off my life. But like when your life is on your phone and people that follow you are essentially making you money because of their support, even though I'm making money from brands like you, I feel obligated to respond to people who are sending me very nice messages or to engage with people online. But when I do that, I'm no longer engaging with the people in my real life that have been there from the start. Like my boyfriend, when I'm on a date and I'm on my phone and I'm like responding to someone's DM or I'm checking my emails you never, ever turn it off. And if anybody could give me advice on how to do that, I think people just assume because I do it full time that I've mastered this skill of like, what's the separation, you know? But I don't think anybody that truly loves what they do ever turns it off. And so that separation only gets harder with the more responsibilities that you add. If you're planning an event, you don't turn off until that event is over. And once that event is over, You don't have time because you're planning the next one. And sometimes that means you're on your phone at 2 a.m. looking at Pinterest boards or you're looking up different vendors or you're thinking of different ideas. And if that's what it takes to be able to sustain the lifestyle that I want and I envision for myself in the future, then that's what I'm going to do. So, yeah, I don't think there's any like secret like what's the word? I don't think there's any solution to separating that. I mean, I've tried like turning my phone off after certain hours. I've done a much better job of like when I do see my friends, I'm not on my phone. Mm -hmm. Um, I do try to get most of my content done during the day. And I really try not to like pull my friends into my content either, just because I don't want to bring people into a world where they might like face criticism in comments where a video might reach an audience that was not intended to see it. And then they might get like hate. So it is definitely a balance that I'm still trying to figure out. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Well, and it's, it's almost like an impossible balance because I feel like it's so new and, and here's, here's my like beef with this, the content creation as a full-time job is that there's this narrative that it's like, oh, well it's fun. And it's like, just because it's fun doesn't mean it's not work. You know what I mean? Like, People look at it like, oh, you know, like the the TikTok you said earlier that was like kind of mocking you. It's like, oh, all you have to do is like post your outfit and you get all. It's like, no, it, there people don't understand like how much goes into it, even if it is fun stuff, even mm-hmm. if it is like fun to host the events. And even if it is fun to be able to share your life on social media, that doesn't mean it's not work, you know? Yeah. And I think it comes from this narrative of like, You have to work really, really, really hard for money and like grind and sacrifice and, you know, probably a job you're not going to love. So like you said, when you do love it, I think the, the negative side of it that comes from this belief of like, 
this underlying narrative of like, oh, you're not supposed to like work or whatever is like, oh, well, I do love it. So therefore I can't complain. Therefore I can't ever have like off days. Therefore I can't ever like separate it. I can't ever stop. Right. Because if I don't respond to the DM or I don't do this, then, then, you know, that means something about me. And so it's just like, how do you win? Right. It's like, seriously, like, how do you win that? That can feel so frustrating and um coupled with the fact that a lot of times this this role of like full-time content creation and owning a business that is truly a brand like your fun on weekdays is oftentimes not taken as seriously as someone who's potentially in a corporate job and so i know you went through an experience with buying a car this year (laughs) where um you know you just (laughs) maybe they you were not treated as you should be or not (laughs) respected and all those things so can you talk a little bit about that or any other situations where you feel like maybe it it just, I don't know that like your financial and just overall success was not taken as seriously as it should be because of like the mode of work you do. Yes, definitely. Um, before I talk about the car, I loved what you said about like the sacrifices that you make. And I feel Like in this day and age, everybody wants to be an influencer because you think it's easy. You think it's literally just posting about your life. And sometimes it is, but people also don't understand the sacrifice that you make is your vulnerability and your privacy and having a life to yourself. And you really, really never understand that feeling until you are on the other side of it. And it, especially being a normal ass person with a normal life, sharing your life on the internet for fun. There is a day when like it no longer becomes fun because then you can only be so relatable until people no longer like you. And then every day is a struggle of like, oh my God, whatever I post, people are going to like make fun of me for. They're going to think it's stupid or they're going to think that I'm not even doing anything. I'm just posting my outfit. And then you have like creative blocks too. So there are definitely sacrifices that come when you are a content creator and you're putting your life out there for hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions of people to have an opinion about you out of 30 to 60 seconds. So what you share is what they know. So for me, I try to be the most vulnerable that I can. But sometimes that means that I am overextending myself and I'm giving so much more of my life to people that I will never know. And it can be really hard when you're taking so much of your life away from yourself for other people's entertainment. And that is what I have to say about sacrifice. Yeah. People forget that like you're, this isn't like a, oh, Jenna, the like persona. It's like, no, no, this is literally you. And like it, what's hard about online is like, once you put it out there, people will always have access to that and like, remember that and know that about you. And so it's like, it's so hard to, like, you've talked about this recently about, um, I forget exactly what it was, but you were like, you know, I've chosen to keep a lot more of my personal life on, off- offline so I can have like something to myself mm-hmm. that's like private from everything else. And it's just, it's one of those things where it's like, you can't like, when does it stop? You know? And I, and you yeah. talked about this recently in the last couple of days, I think as well of, you know, just when that then becomes in person, and then yeah. they're just like, you don't have the boundary of the screen even, you know, it's like the the comments or whatever else, like at, at the very least, at least you have a screen between you. But then in, in person, then sometimes it's even harder to set boundaries. And it's like, where, where does it stop? You know? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I could totally talk about like 
meeting people in person. <laughs> I mean, like, I love it. I mean, I am so aware at the fact that like, if these people did not love and support me, I would not be doing any of this. Yeah. So when I do meet people, I try to give my 100%, but there are days that like, you don't feel 100%. So if I don't feel it, how can I give it? And I feel like people don't understand that because they have this like parasocial relationship with the people that they watch online. When someone like myself shares so much, they feel like they truly know me and they have this expectation of what it's going to be like to meet me. Like we're just going to be instant best friends. I can't tell you how many people are like, we would be best friends, like blah, blah. And I'm like, I'm sure we would be, but there are days when like I just want to be to myself and it can be really overwhelming when like people have an expectation of what you're going to be like and you can't fulfill that expectation sometimes. Like, for example, I was in Nashville this past week and it was CMA Fest. There were thousands of people. And I mean, like, so I couldn't even tell you how many people I met. And I had my event the one day and then I met like 160 girls there and then following that, I was out. And then over the weekend, I met a bunch of other people. And it's like sometimes people come up to you just a really bad time. And then like, for example, I'm standing in the middle of Broadway trying to like pull up my emails to figure out how we're supposed to go to this event that Connor is sponsoring, that we're supposed to go meet these people from Spotify. And I'm supposed to like try to make this networking connection. And then meantime, you have people that are running up to you and more than likely, probably pretty drunk. And they're like in your face and they just like, sometimes it's really hard to read people in person when you feel like you have such a good read of them on the internet. Yeah. And then that leads to disappointment. And then that leads to them leaving comments on your videos saying like, you were so rude. And I'm like, but was I really rude or did I just not meet your expectations? Because yeah. I, I feel like in every situation I've ever met someone, I've been so nice and kind. And I'm like, Maybe I'm not standing and talking to you for five minutes, but I smile at you. I hug most people. I say thank you. And sometimes I just don't have the energy to like have a full on conversation with you or I'm not feeling great that day or like I'm busy doing something else. Yeah. So like having that separation because I have broken the barrier now with doing events of that screen, like I learn every single day how I can be better at, you know, like bringing like you said, it's not a personality. Like, I mean, it is my personality, but it's my real personality. And yeah. it's like trying to bring that to people in the way that they want it so that they have the best experience meeting me. And that's draining when like your whole life is centered around pleasing other people and their opinions and their validation of you when your career literally depends on it. Yeah. It, and it's just like people, how, how do you ever fulfill that when it's like, how do you live how other people want you to live or spend money, how other people want you to spend money when every single person has a different opinion and mm -hmm. everyone, it's just like, Oh my gosh, it's so, it's so wild. But I also did cut you off completely. Oh, talking, totally fine. Talking about, um, you know, the car situation when you just were absolutely like thrown through a loop. Can you talk about that experience and yes. the frustration, the financial side of it, all of that? Yes. So again, let me justify my decision of getting a new car um, because I feel like at this point, it's almost just like it's almost just automated that I have to share why I did something, why I made a certain purchase. So I in high school shared a car with my sisters. My parents bought us that car. It was a Honda Civic. I literally rode that thing out until it died. 
it died at me at Blossom Music Center in Ohio two times where I had to have my dad literally come and pick me up and have the, the car towed. The battery just was shot. And so my sisters, when they graduated college, they both bought their own cars. But because the car died when I was a junior in college, maybe a sophomore, um, my parents were like, all right, well, you're not financially stable enough. You're still a student. Like you're still saving and you're about to like move to a new city in two years. We don't want you paying for a new car. I was very fortunate that my dad got me a car and the, the tie to it was that I could drive it for free. And if I wanted to keep it after college, I needed to pay him for it. So it was like a 2010 Mazda XC60 or something like that. Um, and it was a great car. Like it was great. Nothing wrong with it. I drove it to and from Texas like three times, I believe. And I've been having it here. Um, and honestly, it was just a couple of months ago. I've been having a lot of issues with the car, like with the brakes, a lot of things needed repaired. And it got to a point where it was like, okay, the value of this car right now is less than the amount of work that it needs to be like at its most. And still at that, once I do put in the money to fix it, it's probably still going to break down. So like, why am I getting in this car that I don't feel confident is going to get me to point B when like right now the car market for used cars is great. Like I should just sell this car and get as much money as I can for it. Cause I'm never going to get as much as I can right now and then get a new car. So with that being said, I started looking at cars and in my mind, a car was something that I spend so much of my life in. I spend a good amount of time driving. I spend a lot of time making videos in my car. And I wanted to treat myself to a nice car. And oh, yeah. nothing about cars, all I gravitated towards was just the look of it, not really like the functionality. So I originally started looking at Porsches, Porsches, whatever the fuck you want to call it. Sorry, I don't know if I can swear. And and I shared that because people are like, oh, you're buying a car. Like, let us know how it goes. I started looking at Teslas first, decided that it just wasn't a good lifestyle fit because I don't want to like pull over on the side of the road and charge my car for 30 minutes. Like I can hardly charge my phone, let alone a car. Yeah. And so then I started looking at Porsches and then I was like, this is just so excessive. Like, why do I even want this? And I had to re-internalize, like, do I want this because it's a status symbol or do I want it for the functionality because it is a good, reliable car and it's something that I genuinely want? Or is it just something that I know that other people want? Like, and then once I realized, like, this is so stupid, I don't actually want this car. It was literally just like me trying to validate my hard work, like truly, Um, I realized that. And then I started doing like more market research, you know, and then I decided on the Volvo XC60, which was like basically the same size as my old car. It's very, very reliable. The maintenance is covered for two years. And in my mind, now the decision was, do I buy it or do I lease it? So if I bought it brand new, it was $57,000. And if I leased it, it was like whatever your down payment is. I mean, obviously, that's how like how a lease works. I'm sure yeah. you know. But um, I put like $3,000 down because I was told like don't put more money down because you're just going to end up paying for more of the car and you're never going to keep it. So like what? So I pay $900 a month for this car. And I started sharing that. And then people are like $900 a car a month for a car. Like that's so stupid. People question you for leasing versus buying and how stupid of a decision that is. And then they make you feel like inferior because you're like oh shoot was that dumb like did I make a stupid financial decision and then I talked about it on the internet for people to have an opinion about it like 
And then you blame yourself for it. But the real issue that I had was, could I have bought the car up front? Yes, but I didn't want to get rid of $57,000 out of my bank account right now, knowing for a fact that the second I drive this car off the lot, it's going to depreciate. It's never going to be worth that ever again. And if I were to keep the car for two years and lease it, I know for a fact I'm probably going to have a different lifestyle in a couple years. Like, you never know. I might pop out a kid or two. I'm, it's not in the plans right now, but like, you don't know. And I am the kind of person that I like change. I like to mix things up. So if I want to lease because I want to change my car in two years, then that is the right decision for me. So decided to lease and I get to the, to the application portion of it. And I've had like a lot of issues because I worked at TikTok corporate for one year, um, just a little over. It was from July, 2020 to August, 2021. So I only had one year of real income. And then from July of 2021 to current, I only had my income from Fun on Weekdays LLC, which is from the time that I was technically Mm self-employed. However, I started doing content and making money from brand deals in February of 2021. So I had a 1099 of my February to December income from brand deals, which far exceeded my income from my corporate job. Um, And so all I literally had to prove of my income was my 1099 and my bank statements. And I just, I guess I didn't realize at the time how much that is not like accepted by banks. And so I made a video about how like essentially I was at this lot for hours the day that I was supposed to pick up the car. They said that they couldn't accept the 1099. They needed an income statement. They needed my tax return. So I sent them my 2020 tax return because I didn't have my 2021 taxes yet. It was my first year being like a full-time employee. And so I had an extension because I don't know how the fuck to do that. Sorry, but I need like a CPA to (laughs) help me with the taxes. So I didn't have that. Yeah, it's wild. And so they essentially let me drive off of the lot. And the day that I drove off the lot, they called me and texted me every single day about how they needed more and more and more. And like that, I got a call saying the only thing that we could do for me to keep this car was for me to pay up front for the car. And I'm like, no, that I'm I'm not paying for the car. And if you force me to pay for this car, I'll bring the car back to you and I'll go get a different car. And... I put that online and I feel like the the mistake that I made was not realizing that the problem wasn't with the car dealership itself. It was with the bank because the bank wouldn't accept the 1099 or my um, bank statements because I did show them like six months of, okay, here's the money that's coming in. Here's the money that's going out. I have enough money to buy this car right now. So I don't understand like why you won't approve me to lease it when somebody with maybe a $40,000 income can't afford to buy this car off the lot right now, but they would be approved in a second to be a lease just because they have a corporate job. But here's my thing. A corporate job is no more guaranteed than (laughs) self-employment. You could literally get fired tomorrow. So I think that the issue is with the banks not understanding that self-employment is now a more common and especially like social media, gaming, yeah. more of these like photography, some of these more creative fields are actually more reliable than yeah. some corporate jobs. It's just not traditional. 
Well, and it's young people too. So it's like we young, like if someone is, you know, 50 years old, they've had a corporate job for 25 years and then they quit and do this, they can go back and say, okay, but look, I've been blah, blah, blah. Whereas like young people who are like, Hey, I know I graduated like a couple years ago, but like I already own a successful business or I'm already a successful content creator. And then, you know, the, the banks are like "Mm, pass. And I think what's so frustrating uh, in those scenarios is sure it might be a, a banking thing and I went through that like when I bought my home of like no like they didn't take me seriously they would be like oh well, you're oh if you're a business owner then this will be tricky and I'm like no it won't like look at my financials it won't be but they there's this assumption of like if you're young and a business owner it, it's not it, like no and so that was really frustrating and then but also from like the car dealership perspective that should be a conversation that's like an empowering and educational of like, okay, cool. Here's what we're going to need. This is, this is what's going on here. This is what it would look like. And it's not. And that's what's so frustrating is how can you advocate for yourself when you're going in there, especially like you talked about, like with your car, your previous car experience, how would you know the difference of that? And how would you know those different things? And, um, you know, and it's ridiculous for when people just like shit on, people saying, oh yeah, I'm getting a lease. Again, being transparent about here's how I got this car and here's this. It's it's so wild to me because whether it's leasing a car versus buying a car outright versus ha- uh, getting a loan on the car and like putting a down payment, whether it's renting versus buying a home, what, whatever it is, it's like, it doesn't just matter, right? Again, this is literally why the company is called Deeper Than Money is like, what is on paper is not the only decision. What is going to save me the most money in the next five years is not the only decision. It also matters. What is your lifestyle? When are you going to want another car? What are these other things? Like paying for the convenience matters. Like there is so many other factors at play. It is not like, should you lease or should you do this? Should you rent? Or It's not black and white. Like it matters what is important to you. It matters what's going on in your life. And so that's so, it's just sad to me when again, it's like, you're in a position where pretty much because you're vulnerable online, no matter what side people are on, like you're going to get shit from people. It's so frustrating because it's like, we want more people to talk about money. And it's so you sharing that experience there. I promise there are people in your audience who are like, who are also entrepreneurs who are like, Oh wait, I'm about to buy a car. I wonder what decisions to now make and who are curious about that. Because I mean, I think corporate income, and just like corporate uh, jobs in general, like there's definitely gatekeeping around salaries for sure um, because money's taboo. Don't talk about it, blah, blah, blah. But in entrepreneurship, it's this entire other world because number one, it, no one really knows like what's going on behind closed doors. Number two, the same type of business can be making a completely different amount. They can have completely different expenses. And all those different things. So can can you talk about your, cha- like the mindset shift, but also the like logistical, like financial shift of going from I'm a corporate employee to I quit and now I'm like a full-time entrepreneur? Yeah. So I think the main thing that everyone's mind goes to, of course, is, okay, you're no longer on a salaried income. Mm-hmm. So I don't know when my next paycheck is going to come. The only reason that I felt um, confident and stable enough to quit my job was when I got to a point that I had made about double my yearly income from my corporate job in brand deals 
in like six months. And I'm like, this is just not right. Like we, this is absurd. Why am I working this job that is causing me so much freaking stress on my life? I literally, I wake up every day and I'm so upset that I have to work this job from nine to five because I'm wasting these hours. And that is truly where like fun on weekdays came from was because I didn't like what I was doing for eight hours. So I owe it to myself to enjoy the other hours outside of my day, whether that's like waking up early and doing something fun to look forward to or doing something after work or maybe not doing anything, but like even still not doing a single thing was like the highlight of my day. And so I think that's when I really decided, okay, I need to quit my job. And of course you tell your parents that, and they are very traditional in the means of like their income and how they were raised and everything they know in their life. Like they don't know anything about social media. So when I told them, I think I'm going to quit my job and I think I'm going to do a podcast. Um, yeah, obviously they had, they had their concerns for sure. And now, and now they're like very, very proud of me and very supportive. Do they understand? No, not at all. But like, that's okay. They don't need to understand. The only person that needs to is myself and hopefully anybody that wants to listen to this and try to get some insight, I guess. But the main thing, yeah, is just, you don't get a paycheck every two weeks. You get a paycheck when a brand pays you and a brand is going to pay you 30 to 60 days after your content is posted. So for example, I might get a brand deal in the month of July, but if I post that on July 4th, I'm not going to get paid that money to my agency, first of all, until probably August 4th or maybe even September 4th. So 30 to 60 days net pay is when you're going to get paid. And then my agency is going to pay me. And my agency pays me every two weeks based on the income based on the invoices that they get from brands. So right now I'm still being paid for February and March partnerships that I've had. And I feel like people don't understand that like you can sign a contract for XYZ for a brand deal, but you're not going to get that for like maybe even four months. So you, me personally, I cannot live a life of, okay, I know that I have this money coming in in the future so I can afford this right now. I purchase things only for what I currently have, I can't purchase things for a future income that's not guaranteed. So that's like my number one thing of how my like financials have shifted. Um, And then of course, like you don't have health insurance, you don't have dental insurance, you don't have any of those benefits that come with working a corporate job. So I am personally still on my parents' health insurance until I'm 26. However, it's a Midwestern provider and they don't accept it in most places in Texas. So I went to the doctor um, a month ago, got tested for UTI and a yeast infection. Like, sorry, TMI. But like I said, you share your life on the Internet and somebody relates. And my freaking bill was $1,600. $1,600 because they didn't accept my health insurance and nowhere else did. And so... Like there are so many factors that come into it when you are self-employed that I don't think a lot of people understand. And then like when I'm doing events, I have to pay for my own insurance because God forbid somebody gets hurt or somebody is too intoxicated or something happens. That's a liability on myself. I have that and I have that um, budget. What's that called? Expense. And then I have my office expense, which my office is about like $3,200 a month. Um, yes, I can expense it in taxes. Like that's nice, but doesn't mean you don't still have to pay it. I think sometimes people think like, oh, it's a tax write-off. Okay. You still have to pay for it though. Like (laughs) it's not like getting rid of the expense at all. There's so many like 
there's so many expenses that come with it, not only like an office and the logistical things, but like traveling. And if you need a new outfit for an event and like some people may say you don't need a new outfit, like that's not a necessity. But some other people may say like that's what comes with the job when you're doing events and you're doing things like that. So there's definitely a lot of expenses that I now have that I never did. And so I have to now adjust my spending for that. I'm spending way more than I ever, ever would have felt comfortable because I am a business owner. But the thing is, if you don't spend money, you're never going to grow. You're never going to grow your business if you don't put money into it. And that's one of the hard pills I've had to swallow is like, okay, I might lose money on this event, but if that means that 200 girls had an amazing time, they might tell one or two of their friends, they might listen to my podcast, my podcast might get more downloads, and then I might get a bigger brand deal for a podcast sponsorship. So my mind now is always working in a wheel of like, this money goes to here, but then it affects this. Whereas before I get a paycheck, I spend it on my rent and then I have X, Y, Z to save. And then I have X, Y, Z to spend on having fun. Yeah. It's a complete different way of thinking. Like in a, in a similar way, I will be thinking of like, okay, who do I need to hire on my team? So my business can be where I want to be in six months. Like when I'm hiring today, I'm not hiring because I need that person or whatever else or that software, whatever it may be today, I'm hiring because that's what I think I'll need for my business to grow how it wants to. But it's nerve wracking, right? Because Mm -hmm. you're putting like, you know, when you're hosting events and you're putting money down on your event planner and things like that, like you don't know how it's going to go. You don't know what's coming. Like you have to put that trust into the brand and into um, yourself ultimately, you know? So it's like, do you ever feel when it comes, when you're making those big investments for your business, what are some like, do you have, what are some like mindset or limiting beliefs that pop up for you? Like, do you have doubts? Do you ever think like, is this wild? Should I be doing this? Should I be spending this? Like when it comes to money because of how quickly you've evolved financially? Yeah. So (laughs) I have to say, I have the mindset that if I believe that it's going to work out, like it's just going to work out. Like there's no other option. If I put, for example, I did merch. Okay. If I put tens of thousands of dollars into buying inventory, it's going to sell out. There is literally no other option than for it to sell out. And if I fixate on that, what if for too long, it's never going to happen. And then two years later, I'm going to look back and be like, oh shit, why didn't I do that? Oh, because I was nervous because I was worried that it wasn't going to work out. But if you I think the word for it is catastrophize, which is like getting your letting your fears get in the way of like doing things in life that you want to do, then you're just never going to accomplish those goals. So I have had to be way more spontaneous when it comes to budgeting, whether it's like, okay, this photo backdrop costs a thousand dollars. Like, do you want it or not? Okay, like, are people going to get pictures from it? Are they going to maybe like post that? Are they going to maybe save that? Are they going to maybe have a reminder in their house of my podcast? Are they maybe going to like listen to it more? Okay, it's worth it. Just do it. Is it going to make the experience cuter and overall more branded? Okay, do it. And then for example, like with the events, do we continuously rent flowers and spend so much money doing that? Or do we pay more money upfront to own flowers and spend money to ship them? Mm, it makes more sense to just buy them because then you'll save money on that aspect. And so I think every day there are different situations of like, okay, where can I save money so that I can spend it in other areas? 
And like, for example, an event planner, um, I now have an event planner that I pay. I pay her to travel with me. I pay for all of her accommodations. You know, that is something that I never expected to have. But without spending that amount of money for not only for her to have, a, you know, an income, I would not be able to do the events. So like you have to give in order to get. And I think that's something that a lot of people are really scared to do. And that's why a lot of people, anyone can be an entrepreneur, but no, not everyone can like follow through with it. You know what I mean? Because it does require a lot of like tough decisions, especially around financials. For sure. And I, I think it's easy to judge from outside of like the ring. But when you're in the ring and you you get it and you see all of these things going on, I feel like you almost you just like. I don't know. Like you just, I see your event and I'm like, oh my gosh, because I know as a business owner, every single piece of those things that you're paying to facilitate and to host. And also another like kudos thing that you do that I think is so cool is you value so much keeping your events really accessible. And I think that's so cool because it allows so many people to come and it also means you have to have a higher trust in yourself, like what you were saying, that yes. even though, yeah, you might not be making bank on this event or like you've talked about before on your TikToks when you broke down the expense of what an event costs, you could be losing money mm-hmm. on an event up front. But trust that like when you're creating and like nurturing and loving into every single person in this audience and keeping these accessible and keeping this, that that is going to continue growth. And I think that's just, that is such a, that's such a skill that in entrepreneurship um, is so hard to teach people, you know, it's so hard to teach people like how to have that, like almost Mm -hmm. like, I like to say like this, like naive belief of like, there are times that I'm like, no, I know this will work. And people are like, but how do you know? And I'm like, I don't, I just like believe it. Well, like I am just, no one can convince me it can't. Like no one, even if I don't have proof, even if I don't have evidence, I'm just like, boom, I'm 100% into it. Um, yeah. So we've talked a lot about expenses. Can you touch on some of your different streams of revenue and opportunities that either you have now, you've done in the past, or that you're like looking at getting into in the future? Yeah. So Okay. I think when you say that you're a content creator, a lot of people just assume that like you're making money from views and from like engagement, whether that's comments or shares or whatever. And yes, you can make money from the creator fund. But what I have to say on that is unless you have videos going very viral every single day, and I'm talking like a couple million views, and then also like at least a couple hundred thousand likes and comments, you are not going to make a livable income on the creator fund at all. I think from joining the creator fund when I first started TikTok and mind you, I did leave it for a while because I found out that TikTok employees couldn't be part of it. And I rejoined it a few months ago in total over the past like year and a half, I've made 10 grand. But that's not also to say that like you have to like you're going to be taxed on that too. Like all of these streams of of income, you don't get to just take. And a lot of them are just top end because taxes aren't taken out. So you might think like, oh my God, 10 grand, that's so cool. No, because you're actually going to end up taking away, I don't know, like seven. I don't even know the math. Also not to mention like, okay, yeah, 10 grand. And people might be like, oh my God, you're making 10 grand. Like that's crazy. It's like, think about what you're making per hour. Think about how many hours you've spent creating content and posting because it's like, 
you yeah. talk, likely there are times you have to take multiple takes or you're putting together something or the video gets deleted or whatever else you have to retake. So it's like, yeah, 10 grand. But like, I guarantee if you added up the amount of hours that have gone into those posts, mm-hmm. the hourly rate is not like, it's going to be pretty like low. I would assume it's going to be low. Yeah. And like, if you break it up per video, I mean, there are some days that I, I'll upload like 10 to 15 videos. Like, I don't know what it is. I'll just be on a high that day. And I'll be on a roll. And like, sometimes you just have a lot of creativity. And then there's other days where like, maybe you post one or two a day and you like, don't have that many ideas going. Maybe you're like in a little bit of a rut, which I currently am. Like the less content that you have on your page, the more there's going to be opportunities for people to engage with you. So yeah. people will always be like, oh, how do you grow a following? By posting a shit ton, <laughs> literally like spam people yeah. because like they're probably not going to like you the first time they see your video. But if they consistently see your videos like all the damn time, they can't get away from you. Yeah. And the only way they can't get away from you is if you're consistently putting out content. But that's like a lot of time. Right. So, um, oh, gosh, I don't even remember what the question was. Just talking about different streams of revenue. Oh, streams of revenue. Okay. So yeah. So you have the creator fund, which is honestly, I have never even deposited that money into my bank account. It just lives in TikTok, which I should probably transfer it, you know, like in case I get hacked. So anyone listening to this, like don't hack me, (laughs) Um, but you have that. And then my main source of income is definitely brand deals, whether that is on TikTok or Instagram or Instagram stories. Those are my main three. I've only ever done. Yeah. I was going to say, I've never done like a Facebook brand deal. And so for anyone listening that like doesn't know how brand deals work, essentially a brand will email you or your managers and they'll say, Hey, we have this campaign going on. A CPG brand or a really well-known brand is going to have a much, much larger budget than like a small boutique. And it gets to a point where like, you have to pick your poison of like what brands you want to work with and what you don't. There are brands that like I've turned down for literally $54,000. I turned this brand down because I was like, this is not a good fit. Like this, I would not buy this with my own money. And it was a clothing brand. And I just, I didn't feel comfortable doing it. Cause I'm like, this is so see-through. And then there are brands that I've been paid like very, very, very low under my rate. And I do it because I love it. And I genuinely believe in it. And you like it all balances out eventually, but you can't accept too many below your rate because then you devalue yourself. And then when this brand tells this brand that you paid them this much, then the other brand is going to expect to pay you the same. It's like all such a game that no one understands until you're like literally fighting it essentially. So you have brand deals and that is definitely my main. I would say like my rate on TikTok is much higher because I do have a much larger following. But what I'll say on Instagram is my engagement rate is through the roof. Like I have, I actually, somebody bought me freaking fake followers recently, which I'm so pissed about because it fucks up your engagement. What? And I don't know how to remove them. Like you literally have to go in and remove them one by one. Yeah, you can do that apparently. But But somebody somebody bought me like 8,000 fake followers. So before that I had like 98K and now I'm at 108K on Instagram. My engagement is still good, but like a lot of people's engagement, they might have a million followers, but they might get like 2000 likes. And when you see that, like, it's crazy to know that people with much bigger followings and that kind of engagement can get paid so much less than somebody with maybe 50 to 100K that get 20 to 40,000 likes on their photos. That engagement, that community is so much more 
valuable to a brand than like somebody with a million that is not actually reaching or not actually like touching any of their followers. So that's a big one. Um, obviously, you have like commission links. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people, I'll, I'll post a code and it'll be like, Jenna 20. A lot of people think that I get the commission from that. Sometimes I do. A lot of times I don't. A lot of brands will just use that code to track the revenue that I created to kind of figure out what the ROI is. So if they pay me, say, $5,000 and I generate $15,000 from this link, then they're going to know that I am technically a three three times re- return on investment. So then in the future, if they want to work with me again and they are expecting me to make, you know, I don't know, $20,000 in sales, then I can negotiate a much higher rate because I can say, look, I'm going to bring in this much. So you need to pay me more. Um, So you have that. You have like trackable links, which is kind of the same thing. And then you have like events, um, which I do. I don't, I'm sure there are a lot of other creators that do it, but I just don't have any of like my personal friends that do events yet. And I would love for them to like, it's such a good experience to meet people that follow you and support you. It's, it's really, really cool. Um, sometimes you make money, sometimes you lose money and you really only make money if the event is sponsored by a brand. So for example, my last, um, event was sponsored by BTAN. They give me money to be a part of the brand, to have their name on it, for it to be sponsored by them. But then I use that money as my budget to pay for decorations, the venue. If I'm including free drinks and people's tickets, if I'm including any food, I pay for my event planner. I pay for my travel. I pay for a hotel all of those things, it comes out of that budget. So at the end of the day, events are really not a huge income for me. It's really just a way that I build community in hopes that that community then converts in other ways. So you have that. Um, I started merch. So I did merch uh, in March. And merch is like such a difficult thing to do because I chose to package it all myself. And I was thinking like, the margins are so much higher if I package it myself because shipping is cheaper, but it's like the time and the labor that goes into it. I took away from brand deals. And if brand deals are paying me so much more, it just makes so much more sense to use somebody or to hire somebody to help me package it. So you have revenue from merch. Um, but obviously like you can only sell merch if it's, if it's sellable, like what person is going to want to wear somebody's physical name on a t-shirt? No one's going to want to wear like Jenna Palak t-shirt, you know, and I'm aware of that. So I've started making merch around the Fun on Weekdays brand. And now it's become this thing where like people are really, really excited about it. Um, the first time that I did it, I bought the inventory up front and I was housing the inventory. So like that is a good <laughs> chunk of money out of your pocket that's just sitting in an office until it sells. This next time that I do it, because it's going to be such a bigger order, like the order, I'm not kidding you, is over $100,000 to order the like stuff. I can't front that. Like I might have that money, but I can't front that right now. So mm-hmm. I'm going to do like a pre-sale situation with that. Love it. Um, and then you have like, there are some traveling things. Um, people will pay you to like just attend certain things. And like maybe you'll have to do a recap of the event. Or I've done like a live stream shopping thing before with H&M and buy with, and you get paid for that. I've done some like live streams with Unidays that I've been paid for. And there's just, honestly, the opportunities are endless. It's just, you have to figure out how, like you, 
I think of it every single day. Like I am never off because you have no idea who you can meet on the street or in the grocery store. They might work for Spotify or Universal or Disney or Pepsi. You never know. And if they have a good experience meeting you just in person in everyday life, they might pitch you for the next campaign. And yeah. you just like, you always have to be on. It's it's really like, I love talking about it because it's so cool that there are so many unlimited ways that you can really like expand yourself. That's so freaking cool. And I think, again, people lump in like content creator as like one thing when really you have all of these things in the works that you're managing and doing and creating and everything. I will say one thing is like, I do sometimes miss like, I don't, this sounds like literally so horrible to say, but there are a lot of times that I miss like not having money because I feel like you just appreciate everything so much more, like everything. Like for example, my sister was buying like a dress and she's like, it's a hundred dollars. I don't know. And I'm like, just get it, just get it. And I feel like I've noticed in myself sometimes and I have to pull myself back. I'm like, no, that's a hundred dollars. Like that's a shit ton of money. And, but when you are comparing that to something like that, you think, oh, that's just very small chunk, but then it is like a really, it's so important to ground yourself with people that are like in touch with reality because the thing is I could literally lose my job tomorrow. I could be canceled, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't have that anymore. So like, how do I sustain this for a long term? How do I invest this? How do I not just like get into this lifestyle where I'm all about money and I'm just like, I don't want to be that kind of person. And so I think that is a lot of times reasons why I justify it to my followers is because I'm justifying it to myself. True. And I'm like, okay, I'm not buying this $475 dress because like, it's just a whatever purchase. It's because like this, this, and this. And so then I have like reassurance to myself that it's not just a materialistic purchase that like, it's not just $475. Like this is groceries for however many weeks. This is like, this portion of my rent, you know? So it's definitely like, I, it's really easy for people in social media. If you blow up quickly and you make a lot of money, it's really easy to like get out of touch with reality. And that is like my biggest fear. And I know that'll never happen because of the way that I was raised and the way that my parents taught me to like work hard and the people I surround myself with. But it is a very like insane, insane thing, really. And I think it, like we talked about earlier, like when your expenses via business are higher yeah, every single month, you know, you have tens of thousands of dollars or whatever, depending on that month that's going out. Then you look at, uh, because I, I definitely feel the same. My, my mindset of like, oh, that's, you know, like, oh, that's maybe like expensive or that's has completely shifted because of my financial situation. And so having that mentality of like, okay, I want to be cognizant and I want to definitely have a growth mindset of, of all of those things. But at the same time, I also want to stay grounded. I want to stay um, aware and, and not have that like, you know, just like flippant, like, oh, that's nothing because it's not true. Yeah. You know? So I love that so much. Okay. Last question. I want to know what is a big money goal that you have or just like goal in general that you have for the future? So I have, okay, here's my thing. I'm good at saving money. And I say this all the time. Like I'm good at saving. I'm really 
truly pretty frugal with what I buy for myself. Mm-hmm. Maybe part of that is because I get a lot from brands for free. And like that is, I mean, really cool. Sometimes it like is really annoying. Yeah. Um, but my goal is to save like a million dollars in the next five years. And I really think that I can do it. Like I'm, I'm at a pretty good pace right now to like be able to do that. Um, my thing is I only have money sitting in a savings account. It's not being invested anywhere currently. Mm -hmm. I really like have not had time to educate myself on what to do with investing my money to make it grow while I'm not doing anything. So that's a big money goal is to like figure out where I can put my money. So it's growing over time rather than just sitting. Um, another like money goal is to buy a house in the next five years. Um, which like I said previously, um, there's obviously like a lot of difficulties with getting loans and getting approved for stuff. And so next September will be like my two year of having self-employment. Which is a huge milestone for business owners when you're trying to get a loan for everyone. (laughs) Definitely. I mean, that's all that any like banks accept is two years of business. So trying to do that, but also, um, I really, really want to like start a business um, mm-hmm. in the next like probably two years because the reality is like I love social media so much but when your entire life is social media like yeah. your mood and your like life and how you view yourself is dependent on how other people view you yeah. and I've had oh my gosh it takes such a big mental toll on myself that I don't want to sustain this for the rest of my life I also don't want to be having kids and bring kids into it like yeah. when I have a family I want to be sharing what I want to share about my family just because I want to share it, not because I'm being paid to share it or not because like I'm being incentivized to share it. And so I think what a lot of people like fail to do is like they make this money now and then they spend it and then they don't have anything in the future. But like I'm trying to save all of this so that I can eventually put all the money into a brand, work for the brand, hire people and like build something. And then eventually when I'm old enough, step away from the company or sell the company and just live a life literally offline <laughs> and like yeah. never like never be in social media again. I don't know. I, I feel like people only last for so long. I mean, there's people who have been doing it for 10 plus years and it's like crazy. Yeah. The mental strain I've had for like literally less than a year, I don't know how people do it. And I think as social media continues to evolve and like the idea of an influencer evolves, it's only going to get like more stressful and straining and more competitive. And the sooner I can build a life for myself to kind of get away from it. So it's less of my income and more of like just something for fun. Um, I think the better. (laughs) For sure. And it's so exciting because that creates, you know, it's like, why do we want more money? Likely because we want more freedom. And so it's like, you're in, in that mindset, right? You're like, okay, I want to create this alternative business so I can step away from social media. Not only will that likely obviously like produce money, but that also will produce just freedom by itself because you won't have to rely on needing to do and needing to show up and all of those things. So it's so cool that, you know, ultimately you're using money as a tool to create freedom, but you're also just simply creating freedom in your life by doing that too. So Mm -hmm. holy cow, it's so (laughs) exciting. And you guys, we, Jen and I talked about this and we are going to do, we're going to split this up. We've been like, I literally could talk for like 10 more hours with you. I know. Um, 
<laughs> we're gonna spend an hour and 13 minutes i know i, I looked time up that. So fast i know i looked up that a minute ago and i was like shut up is that right i was like did we jump on and i'm like we recorded when we started so that's nuts we because did I'm just, i know but so holy cow but we are gonna do this is part one so if you love this you're gonna love part two um we're gonna record it over on jenna's podcast on fun on weekdays so if you're loving this please go check out part two and we will see you there. But Jenna, thank you so much for coming on the Deeper Than Money podcast. This was thank so you. Great. Yeah, it was so much fun. All right. Well, we'll talk to you guys on the other podcast. Yeah. See you there. <laughs> <laughs>